This is a Retail Insider Podcast. You're listening to the interview series. Welcome to the Retail Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Patterson, and we're joined here with a special guest, Randy Harris. He's president and founder of Trendex North America. Welcome, Randy. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Now, we're going to talk a little bit today about the Canadian retail clothing market, and uh, we're going to go over some uh, discussion points here that are quite interesting, including some of the problems we're seeing in Canada. So where would you like to begin, Randy? Well, first of all, I, I'd like to begin by talking about some concerns that I have with analysis that are being done of the Canadian clothing market in general and Nordstrom's exit in particular. What concerns with retail analysis are you seeing? There are a number of organizations that are in one way or the other have skin in the game when it comes to the $33 billion Canadian apparel market. And from my perspective, they are all failing the Canadian apparel industry. Are there any general groups or organizations with skin in the game that you're thinking of? The first group is made up of financial analysts and the majority of newspaper business writers, which fail to engage in critical financial analysis. Is there anything specifically that makes you disappointed in Canadian retail reporting? This is a group that unfortunately, based on their track record, refuses to speak truth to power when it comes to a retailer. Really? When was the last time, Craig, any analyst wrote a negative report about a company, asked a probing question to a CEO doing a quarterly presentation, or heaven forbid, suggested that a company's stock be shorted? When was the last time a publication ran a negative story about a retailer before it folded, including Sears, Dialects, Le Chateau, etc.? Why do you think Canadian retail journalism has gotten to this point? There are two reasons for this situation, I believe. The first is Canadians are nice people in a small country. And there is a perceived need for everyone to play nice in order to get along. This is partially accomplished by not saying anything negative. The second reason is that publishing a negative review or article about a retailer runs the risk of the company that is being profiled pulling its advertising or investment business. Wow. And have you seen any instances where politeness or advertising has been pulled? Personally, I can identify with this concern is that seven years ago, after writing a very negative story about Sears Canada, I was personally sued by $6 million by Sears Canada. A long story, but in the end, they dropped their suit. So I personally experienced this kind of intimidation. So I, it's my understanding that a lot of retail writers in particular are very nervous about what they put in print about the big retailers in Canada. I don't think that's a known fact and it's ever really been said before in the way I've just said it. But you mentioned there were two groups. Who were they? The second group of, that's not doing the job is made up of Canadian retail consultants and to a lesser degree, retail savants who are intellectually lazy in that they feel fail to keep up with the industry data. In 95% of the cases, they make comments that are not true. This is a group who is made up of people who last year said that e-commerce will take over from a 
retails brick and mortar. That certainly is not the case. But had they looked at the statistics, they would have seen it was a one-year phenomenon. Apparel prices are going up. Your own publication last fall did an interview with a man who talked about rising prices for apparel. Last year, apparel prices in Canada went up 0.8%. That's the fifth year in a row they didn't go up. So when someone writes a story and says there's inflationary pressures in the apparel industry, they have not looked at the data. What other retail experts were you concerned with? Another person who says recently off-price retailing is failing in Canada. I'm sorry. When you look at the sales of TJX and the factory outlet malls that are focusing on the better product areas, they're growing tremendously. So there is no data that they quoted in that story that said that factory outlet or off-price retailing failed. And lastly, some woman had the temerity to say that she was proud of Zeller's coming back and they would be a strong new participant in the market because of a nostalgia factor and that Canadians would flock to Zeller's because of nostalgia. Now, I ask you, what is the nostalgic factor associated with Zeller's men's underwear? (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure how Zeller's nostalgia would play into men's underwear, Randy. I'm being facetious. I hope you know that. I think that was the most insane comment I've heard. Was there something more about the retail expert group that was concerning with Zeller's? This is the same group that listed why some foreign retailers in Canada failed without 10 times more noting those that succeeded. Oh, so why didn't the larger successful foreign retailers get mentioned and just the failures? Why didn't this much larger group fall victim to consultants who would say that retailers failed in Canada because of logistical challenges, differences in consumer taste, economies of sale, and a lack of understanding of the competitive framework in Canada? A recent article in your publication listed those four reasons why American retail failed. All of these reasons might be valid if, and this is a big if, foreign retailers were operating in 100 cities across Canada. But in fact, they're only operating in four to six markets. So tell me, what is the difference between a Canadian consumer in Toronto, in Ottawa, in Vancouver, When it comes to their needs, wants, and aspirations, the answer is there is no difference. Hmm. Are there any other groups? The last group that I'm concerned about that's failing the industry is made up of two large Canadian associations who will remain nameless, who coincidentally are having large member meetings during the next 60 days. Both events fail to include any speaker who might draw the offense of any association member. So basically, they don't invite anybody that might threaten a member. Hopefully, the preceding rant will provide some context for my comments during the rest of the interview. Bottom line, at least the apparel industry needs to critically evaluate all of the old wives' tales that permeate the industry and engage in more fact-checking before making comments like, why do so many American retailers fail in Canada? This is fascinating. And I want us to be honest about things here with Retail Insider and with this um, recording here. So let's dive a little bit more into this because I, I 
do want to talk about this and I want to be honest. I don't want to be one of those journalists or or, or people that are interviewing someone who uh, is trying to sugarcoat things here. And uh, I, I may be somewhat responsible for that here now and then as well. I think we all are as nice Canadians, but uh, the reality is there are tra- challenges out there. And, uh, uh, you know, let's be honest about it. So uh, I'm Curious, where do you want us to, where do we want to go next with the conversation, Randy? <laughs> well, I think the first thing we have to talk about is, is uh, Mark Cohen's comments about the fact that international retailers who jump the borders are not successful. And that's exactly what he said, and he is 100% wrong. There is no doubt about it. When you look at Canada, we have 140 apparel retailers that are foreknown that are operating in Canada. 140, not four. What do you say about people who talk about Uniglo, H&M, Inditex? They're not suffering. They're all over the world. We take people like Foot Locker in Canada, does a very good job. And then we can keep going. The largest apparel retailer in Canada is Winners. The sixth largest is Old Navy. Now, tell me, what is the difference between what Old Navy sells in Canada or the Gap and what it sells in the United States? There is no difference. There might be one style. There might be two. The Canadian consumer is the same as the American consumer. And it's becoming more so because of Generation X and Y who's influenced by the same influencers and sees the same commercials and goes in the same stores. So this whole idea that there are differences in the market is baloney. There might be when it comes to Canadian Tire, there's no doubt about it. But when we're talking about apparel, there's more foreign retailers in the apparel segment than in any other segment of the Canadian market. And the 90% are successful. 40 new foreign retailers apparel have entered the market in the last five years. I get that from your statistics, by the way, every January. So I thank you for doing the research for me on that. And all well, I thank do, you. But I always give you credit, Retail Insider. You see that? Oh, thank you. Yeah, we try to, I hope we get them all too. We try to compile that list. But. You, you really do. So the whole, it's a myth. There's two myths. One is that foreign retailers, don't cross the borders successfully. And the second reason is all these so-called differences between Americans and Canadians in particular do not really exist. So I think that was the point of my story um, or what I wanted to say. And the reasons that Nordstrom's left the market are also being mischaracterized, I believe. Uh, There's no doubt that they should have never opened three stores in the Toronto GTA. That that was a major mistake. I think the other thing that people are not taking note of, but if they go back and Google it, they'll see it, is that the minute that Nordstrom's announced that they were coming into the market, both Holt Renfrew and Harry Rosen embarked on a multi-million dollar program to upgrade their facilities and their capabilities. And I don't think that the people at Nordstrom saw that coming. They underestimated two of their key competitors. They also underestimated, from my standpoint, the amount of foreign competitors that would have come in over the next seven years. 
all of these foreign competitors are coming in are nibbling away at the north at the market segment that Nordstrom's is targeting. So I think that has a lot to do with it. Uh, COVID restrictions certainly hurt. And lastly, um, there was a big decline, as you know, in foreign tourism. And I think that that affected Nordstrom's because a lot of foreign tourists, like from Japan, had never been into a Nordstrom store, were aware of it. So they headed to it. But once the, the COVID crackdown came in, they couldn't go there. So basically, Nordstrom's failed for a whole reason of uh, for a whole number of reasons, kind of like the alignment of the planets. But I don't think it had anything to do with their service levels uh, or their pricing. Um, I think it had to do with much bigger problems. And that had to do basically with the competition, uh, including Harry Rosen, Holt Renfrew, and all of the new foreign retailers coming in the market. And that includes some of the brands that you can find in a Nordstrom store actually opening their own standalone stores. Absolutely. I 100% agree with what you just said. Mm-hmm. And normally then, they, and um, the other thing that happened is the incredible upgrading, and I don't know how to quantify this, of um, the mall uh, uh, Yorkdale over the last five or six years. That really has become a magnet. And when you talk about the luxury market in Canada, I'm beginning to talk about four segments, Vancouver, Toronto, particularly down on Bloor Street, Yorkdale Mall in and of itself, and then the rest of Canada, whether that be Winnipeg or Edmonton or anything. And I'm convinced that in the end, that's a pie that's going to be divided into four pieces. I believe that Yorkville, in the, maybe by the end of next year, will do the same amount of business in the luxury market that downtown Toronto or even Vancouver has done. And I know nobody has said that, but I truthfully believe it with what they're mm-hmm. doing. In terms of Yorkdale being such a uh, draw for the luxury uh, shopping consumer that it's yes. a tremendous yes. threat to the downtown core in Toronto. Well, I... I I absolutely agree with that. I mean, that's my position right at the moment. How about the Montreal? And I know Montreal and Vancouver in 2024 are going to be getting these uh, shopping centers that both are going to have luxury right. stores. You've got Royal Mount in Montreal, which is going to compete with downtown. Royal Mount to be in the middle of the island. You're going to have Oak Ridge Center in Vancouver, which is on the west side. So it's sort of the inner suburbs of the city, but it is removed from the downtown core. Uh, we probably would see something like what we're seeing in Toronto right now in terms of that Yorkdale dominance versus downtown. It depends on who goes in there. I'm not sure that in the end that either mall expands the luxury zones, it it expands the luxury area in those cities. It makes it more convenient for shoppers to go there, but whether it actually adds plus business, I'm not sure at this point. And I don't think anybody really does. I think they hope it adds plus business, but I'm not sure it just makes it easier for those people to go shopping. And that's what I thought Yorkdale was going to do for a while. I thought it was going to take away from downtown slowly. But now I believe that it's actually becoming such a destination that it will add plus business. In terms of expanding the market, so there'll be more high-end retail sales in the Toronto market versus there being uh, two nodes of luxury that are competing with each other. 
Yes, absolutely. Very interesting. Now, do I have any do I have any data? I mean, I'm the guy who's preaching through this whole thing. You got to have data. The answer is I don't have data. It's just a supposition based on what I'm seeing happening at Yorkdale Mall. In your article last week, I think it was last week, early this week, about sales in Yorkdale Mall just reinforced my thinking on that. It is a threat. I live in the Yorkville area in the downtown core of Toronto. And even though we are getting these luxury stores, uh, I do know that uh, if the stores are in Bloor, you know, on Bloor Street or on Yorkville Avenue, and they're also, say, at Yorkdale, very often the Yorkdale store is going to be doing higher sales, even if it's in Holt Renfrew as a concession. Not always. Yes. And not always, but it's interesting. To, it'll be interesting to watch the dynamic going on. It'll, it'll be interesting to see, and, and you won't be able to share it with me, but I'm sure you'll be able to find out when a company or a retailer has a store on Bloor Street and then they open something in Yorkdale Mall, does it affect their sales down on Bloor Street? That, to me, would be one of the most interesting things to learn about retailing now. I'm going to have to ask some questions of some retailers. Is, is, is it a zero-sum game? It comes down to this. Is it a zero-sum game? One goes up, the other one goes down, or together does it add plus business for that retailer in Toronto? I don't know the answer. That's a really good question. These are questions I don't think a lot of people but are I'll asking. I'll buy you a couple of drinks if you I'll buy you a couple of drinks if you can, can share the answer with me. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, we've got the luxury side of things. Um, what about the off price? I mean, we've got Canada still has Saks off fifth, at least for now. And then we'll talk about Saks Fifth Avenue after. Let's talk about two. But um, we've got the off price. We've got Winners, Marshalls, which are part of TJX Group. We've got Saks off fifth currently. Nordstrom Rack is still operating, but it's being cleared out basically at the moment here. And uh, a few others out there too. But uh, any insight into the, uh, you know, the, the lower price clothing that most Canadians are probably buying at this point? That that segment continues to grow, much like the fast fashion segment. So when you're talking about off price, you have to also do a plus um, the fast fashion because in a sense their pricing is similar, their product is different, but they're at the low end, relatively low end of the market, meaning they're above Walmart and Giant Tiger, but below the Bay in most cases. That makes sense. I mean, and speaking of, uh, I mean, Walmart, uh, that means they're successful retailers. You've got Walmart in Canada. Costco is is doing just a bang up business. I think we have more Costco stores per person in Canada than uh, there is in the United States. Yes, there's a hundred of them and they're doing wonderful. And Costco, probably not in 2003, but in 2024 will be one of the 10 largest clothing retailers in Canada. Wow. It's getting very close. Yes. Out of sight, out of mind, you don't think about it as a clothing retailer, but they do the tonnage, I'll tell you. And that includes the Kirkland brand, which is an in-house brand for Costco, as well as I think they do have some other brands in there that they'll just bring in randomly. Oh, yeah, they have quite a few from VF, yes. And they're getting more brands all the time because um, the the manufacturers are looking for outlets to sell their product in. Used to be they'd hold their nose to and they wouldn't sell to people like Costco, but that's changing. So there, it's important that they develop additional channels of distribution if you're an apparel manufacturer. So you open your direct-to-consumer stores, you go more online, you go every channel you can to try and build up your business. And we've got some really successful outlet malls. This is certainly something that the United States has seen for years, but here in Canada now with the Toronto Premium Outlets, uh, 
Um, what was it? The latest brand, I think, opening is Bottega Veneta. We've got many of the world's luxury brands at that mall, and we've got a few other uh, of these uh, outlet malls in our, other parts of Canada. The one in Toronto is by far the most luxury heavy, but nevertheless, we've got a few. You know, each major city in Canada seems to have at least one of these. Right, and and that is a growing, and that's why I find it found it um, surprising when somebody said the off-price business in Canada is going down. And I'd say, au contraire, it's actually growing when you look at the numbers for TJX for Canada. And then you look at what's happening in some of these outlet malls and some of the higher end brands are going in there. Off price is a growing segment of the Canadian market, much like it is in the United States. And one of the things that's interesting is that, as you know, Canadians, especially in the mid 90s, uh, late 90s, really flocked to the United States to go to what I would call off-price or factory outlet malls. There's not the need to do that anymore because there are factory outlet malls now in Canada. And so that cross-border traffic to go shopping has dramatically declined because of that. That makes sense. I mean, we've got people traveling and uh, they're probably traveling to have more experiences anyways now if we can get the shopping here uh, in Canada with the same brands. Uh, so the going back, the one thing that's going to help the um, luxury market, which I know that you're very interested in uh, personally, is the return of full stop of tourism. Um, and I mean tourism from uh, the Orient, if you will. That's still not anywhere near where it was pre-COVID. And until that, it's going to act as a, I call it an anchor on the growth of that particular segment of the market. So in two years, it won't be an issue. It's going to take probably a year to two years to get tourism back to the level that it was pre-COVID. That makes a lot of sense. And I think they're showing that the Asian market, particularly Chinese, is responsible for a very significant amount of spending uh, uh, on luxury brands, uh, I think the estimates could be as high as 50% at this point. The the inherent problem, though, for Canadian luxury retailers is the boom in luxury apparel retailing within Canada itself, that everybody is opening up stores. Louis Vuitton opens one store every week in China. And so the availability of luxury brands has just exploded within China. The thing that I don't understand yet is the difference in the pricing. So a Louis Vuitton purse sold in Louis Vuitton, Beijing, is that cheaper or more expensive than a Louis Vuitton bag sold in Yorkdale? I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, that'd be something interesting to look into. Um, I've been told that some of the pricing in China has been competitive enough that uh, people would not be compelled to go elsewhere because that's why we saw lineups in mm -hmm. uh, you know Champs-Élysées in Paris at Louis Vuitton or in London I mean the pricing depending on the currency fluctuations was something to consider but uh, it sounds like some of the brands just from what I'm hearing anecdotally are uh, trying to have things competitively priced in China to drive sales especially as people aren't traveling and as the market grows and 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 you know many people in China don't have passports in terms of being able to travel yeah that's true by the way another thought is I've talked to a couple of luxury retailers not in the last year, but before that. And they they don't talk nearly as much about Canada as they do Toronto and Vancouver. So when they're doing their strategic planning, they realize that there's a whole part of Canada that they're not interested in at all. 
So they tend to focus on what's going on only in Toronto and Vancouver. And I think that that makes a hell of a lot of sense. Those are the markets that seem to have a lot of luxury spending. Um, it, it is interesting to be watching the Royal Melt Project in Montreal, which again, I, I've, got, I've got a oh, floor yeah. plan that I, mean, I, I wasn't allowed to announce all the tenants, but it, a lot of the retailers, uh, the high-end ones you see at Yorkdale are also on the floor plan for, for Royal Mountain in Montreal. It, it's it's long overdue, I think. So I'm, I'm glad to see that it's being done. And Mr. Lefty knows what he's doing. So it was quite a nice article, though, yeah, I think- that I read about that. And then I ref- you referred in the article to a report that had been done, and I went and looked at that. So, uh, yeah, I, I've got a pretty good handle on what they're trying to do there. I think it's going to be fascinating. And, and same thing with Oak Ridge and Vancouver. It is a little bit different because the Vancouver market already has a very strong uh, uh, luxury spending component to it. But uh, with that now expanding uh, or you know, an eroding of market share downtown because of Oak Ridge, this is going to be, I think, fascinating to watch in 2024 because that's when these two projects are going to be coming online mm-hmm. and consumers can start shopping in these uh, shopping malls. Yes. And again, the, the question is, do these two shopping malls add business or do they subtract business, meaning from the current luxury areas? And we won't know for a while. Yeah, my guess is it's going to subtract a little bit, but uh, that's that's just my <laughs> guess. Maybe more so for me the too. Montreal market. Me too. <laughs> I mean, Montreal does have wealthy people. The question is, where do they shop? Are they going to Florida, New York City, Paris? I mean, there, there's, you know, that, that's a thing to consider as well. I've, I've always thought that there's as much spending down in Boca Raton or Paris than there is in Montreal itself. But again, I have no data to back up that assumption. No, no. Now, um, one luxury retailer that came into Canada in 2016 was Saks Fifth Avenue. Uh, for those, mm-hmm. well, I shouldn't say for those unfamiliar, I'm sure everyone listening here would be, but it's a New York City-based, uh, uh, you know, large format retailer uh, now owned by the Hudson's Bay Company, interestingly enough, but uh, opened three full-line stores in Canada. I don't think they're doing so well. Uh, you had some predictions in some reports, basically that Saks was probably going to be, at least in your opinion, leaving Canada. Do you want to go into that a little bit more as a discussion? Uh, again, I don't. I believe that in my heart. Um, I just don't see how they could justify it. Now, it could be justifiable uh, because of the rents that they might or might not be paying, which could make it a little easier. But I've just never seen them be a major player in the market, and I also think they came in again underestimating what Holt Renfrew was going to do. And I think that Holt Renfrew has really stymied any possible growth that they might have. So I think the best thing to do is to just close it up and get rid of it. They still don't have an e-commerce site in Canada. You have to order, I believe, via the U.S. site. And I just don't see them making the commitment to Canada that they need to excel. They've also got an economies of scale problem, and that is they don't have enough stores to really justify a major marketing campaign. And the plan had been for Saks Fifth Avenue to open, I think, up to 10 of those full-size stores in Canada. I'm not talking about Saks Off Fifth. For those unfamiliar, it's a completely different division. It just shares a similar name. I had this corrected by the Hudson Bay Company itself, so that's where my understanding comes from. But in terms of these large Saks Fifth Avenue stores, um, I mean, I'll, I'll, I don't know if I've ever actually gone on the record or, or gone public saying this, but uh, um, I had been told in 2021 that in early 2022, the Calgary store was supposed to have been shut down. And uh, I, you know, I didn't report on this. I was waiting for more signs of it to happen. And lo and behold, we're here today. It's 
April of 2023, and that store is still open. But I was in there a few months ago, and it, there wasn't a lot of stuff in there. It wasn't a very good store. Yeah, I I just think they're the chains days are numbered in Canada. How soon they'll pull the plug, I don't know, but I'm I'm certain it will be gone within a couple of years, if not sooner. Mm-hmm. I think that would be sad, but you know, just we got two standalone stores. Like I mentioned, CF Chinook Center, CF Chinook Center in Calgary. Uh, there's one at the CF. Uh, uh, Sherway Gardens in Toronto. There's also a Saks Fifth Avenue, which is kind of awkwardly uh, contained within the large Hudson's Bay yes. store in downtown Toronto. It used to be Simpsons many years ago, a big department store. But now we've got the Saks Fifth Avenue thrown in there. It's going to be interesting to see what happens if that store were to close in terms of how the space would be utilized. Yes. I, I completely agree with you. Uh, and maybe they ought to tear the whole building down and put up a 105-story apartment building, they might get a better return on their money. That seems to be the Toronto way. Tear it down and build something really tall. I mean, it's heritage protected. I would hope to God that would never happen. But I did see some proposals for for a tower on the site. This is a number of years ago, and I don't think it's going to happen. But oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they would look to do something to somehow within the structural support of the current building that's there. Because the, uh, the corner at Queen and Young Street, I believe, was built in about 1898. So it is a really old uh building it, it was you know expanded in phases to almost a million square feet in terms of the department store itself but uh uh nevertheless i mean engineers out there soon to be able to figure things out maybe there will be a tall building at the back of the uh, hudson space store at some point well before we go i need to thank you for giving me this opportunity to vent and i'd like to encourage and this is my commercial for anybody that's interested in what i have to say to our to subscribe to our monthly newsletter called Canadian Apparel Insights, and you can subscribe via our website, uh, trendxna.com. Excellent, excellent. We'll include uh, uh, show notes as well. We'll have a link in there for those that are uh, coming to this podcast through our website. Uh, And again, for those that are just coming in through our podcast channels, definitely uh, uh, seek this out if you're interested because it's it's really informative stuff. uh, Randy, you send us these reports regularly i get them in my email and they're always extremely informative well thank you and i i really appreciate uh working with mario he's a peach um we get along very well he's very astute he has good comments but more importantly he writes up what we i say to him perfectly i really like the way he summarizes what i say it makes me look good Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Randy Harris. He's the president and founder of Trendex North America. Thank you so much for your insights here. You're always telling us all kinds of interesting stuff, very informative. Thank you, Randy, for joining us. Thank you again for having me, Craig. And thank you everyone for listening today on the Retail Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Patterson. I'm the founder, CEO, and publisher of Retail Insider Media Limited. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast. And we've also got a video series, which includes my face on it, as well as guests. So definitely check that out here as well. Thank you so much, everyone. Take care and bye for now.